Good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to see the uh, ordination of a new elder. Really hopeful about what the Lord will be doing in All Saints in the next years. Uh, just a heads up, I won't be here next week, but I will be here for, uh, for Lord willing, for Palm Sunday and for Easter Sunday. So during those two weeks, we'll take a break from um, David, the, the picture of Christ, and take a look at the Son of David, the Savior of the world, during the celebration of, of his great work for us. Let's pray, and then we'll hear from God's Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercies. I bless you for how kind you have been to us. I ask you to show us who you are. Give us hearts to believe it and then show us what to do and give us wills to do it, we pray. In your good name, amen. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David rose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart was struck because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And afterward David rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my case and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. 
He said to David, You're more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, where I have repaid you evil. And you have decided this day how you have dealt well with me. And in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall be surely king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to Saul and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Amen. In a book called The President's Shadow, a man named Brad Meltzer uh, was researching how to protect the president, and he confirmed a story that had been told that Ronald Reagan kept a 38 revolver in his briefcase, and he traveled with it all the time. Now, it's pretty hard to get to the president, so... <laughs> But, but I, I guess President Reagan wanted to make sure that if they broke through all the other barriers and got him alone in the room, he had something to protect himself with. As you might know, um, President Reagan uh, was shot and almost died. And so um, we find that uh, both the urge and futility of protecting ourselves is um, just part of who we are no matter how much we have around us to keep us safe and to keep us comfortable. We're always living in the dark. We can't anticipate um, what lurks around the corner or what comes in the morning or in the afternoon or who loves us or who hates us, who is for us or who is against us. So um, in a world like the world that we all live in, we need to understand and learn how to see in the dark. And it turns out that seeing in the dark is actually much more simple than we believe it is. Because you see in the dark by listening to God's Word. That's the whole message. You see in the dark by listening to God's Word. You see in the dark by seeing with your ears, by hearing what God said. So let's take a look at Saul in the dark and then let's take a look at David in the dark and learn a little bit about how we can live in the dark. The first thing that we'll look at is Saul. Um, and what we need to see is that he's blind and unclean in the dark. Uh, Saul, after he presumably defeated the Philistines that in the previous chapter he ran off to, to do battle with, we, we presume he defeated them because he's still in chapter 24, so he makes his way back, and he gets news. And when he, when he gets this news, um, he presumes again that God has given David into his hands like he has before. He marshals 3,000 chosen soldiers. This would perhaps not be like the militia, but those who are in regular training. And he, he marshals them 3,000 against David's 600. That's, that's five to one, a formidable force. And he has this intel that um, is pretty specific. And he starts what we're told is a pursuit. The word is very intensive and deliberate. 
The kind of word that you would use if you were trying to describe a king searching a specific part of a country with 3,000 other people. He's intensely committed and he still cannot find David. And as we mentioned last time, Saul is always in the dark even before he goes in the cave. Others find David easily. Those who are benevolent and want to serve him, it's easy to find David. For for Saul, his son can find David, but once again, he and his 3,000 men cannot find him. No matter where he goes, no matter how specific his intel is, this is the second time he's been given very specific intelligence about where to find his nemesis. And he can't. He can't find him. There's There are very few phrases out of my mouth that mean less to my wife than I looked there already. (laughs) I mean, it means nothing to her. Because the way I look for something is to stand in the room and wait for it to fly up and hit me in the face. If that does not happen, I go to the next room and repeat And Saul is trying to find this one threat, or one of several threats, the Philistines are also a threat, to his kingdom, and he cannot find him. He's blind. He is blinded to the truth. We're going to see he knows it partially, but he's blinded to the truth of his own fallen kingdom and the rising kingdom of God's chosen servants. But there's more to Saul in the dark. He's also unclean. Now, what I hope that you're learning about the art of biblical narrative is that it is truly indeed art. It's, it's uh, we might say, uh, truly historical art, but it's historical performance art exercised by the providence of God with the art of his prophets telling the story. And so we have a scene here that is specifically designed to make a king look very unkingly. The commander-in-chief in what's sort of a divine comedy or tragic comedy, I would imagine since David works it all out in the end. He has 3,000 men, but now he's alone. Listen to the contrast. He has his royal robe, but he has to remove it. He's searching for David, and he's right next to David, And he cannot find him. But there's something else going on that indicates that um, he is alienated from the Lord. It's a a rather obscure concept. It goes back to one of the first five books, the fifth book, actually the Bible. Pardon me, but the Bible took us to this part of human existence where, where, where God says that people are not to relieve themselves in the camp because he's present there. When You shall have a place outside the camp and you shall go out and you shall have a towel and with your tools and when you sit down outside and it goes on. It gives the reason for that is that God is present. So, so what we need to see is that we're being told that Saul is leaving the camp of his soldiers in a very specific way. There's not just modesty happening, but there's also... Um, a recognition of the cleanliness of the camp of the Lord, which is ironic because um, Saul himself makes the camp of the Lord unclean. 
Saul can't even obey God when he's obeying God because he won't give himself over to God. When when you've made yourself an enemy of the king, even obeying the king's king, the Lord of heaven and earth, exposes you to judgment. He can't see. He's blind and he's still unclean. You know, the challenge um, of night vision uh, goggles in the military is that they they restrict your peripheral vision. They restrict what you can't see. At least the first generations of them did. So, So Saul, he stumbles through. He finds a way. He obeys God, but he can't really see what's happening because surrounded by Saul in the dark is a new kingdom that's in the dark with him in the same place. He's surrounded in the dark by his enemies. His enemies, of course, are the servants of the true king. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Who were these 600 men? Well, they were the indebted, the bitter, the faithful servants of the king, the persecuted, the aliens running around in the land. They were the oppressed and the marginalized. They were the exact kind of people the church still forgets. And they see an opportunity. They see an opportunity to have their kingdom the way they want it. And the men said to David, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do it to him as it shall seem good to you. Now we're going to see that David will see this circumstance a little differently, but what I, what I want us to understand is that we're more like the 600 than the David. We've been given a promise. We see in a fashion in the dark, even though we're <clears throat> marginalized and in a fashion separated in some sense from the world even though we're in it. But that marginalization, that, that indebtedness, that bitterness, that sense that we're being, um, we don't longer have a place at the table, that can confuse what we see in the dark. But what we must understand is that God never said that to David. That's an extrapolation. He surely says things like that later on in the Psalms. David pleads for that thing. But when I said that we need to see in the dark by listening to God's word, well, this is an example. They saw opportunity. They saw an enemy. But they didn't see clearly in the dark because they weren't listening to God's word. They were extrapolating on God's word. They were assuming things about God's plans and his purpose. But that's a different thing altogether. What does David see? Well, David sees his persecutor. David sees the man has been trying to kill him. 
You know, remember, Saul's chucked spears at David. Saul just looks foolish through the whole account, the whole account. David sees a man who's trying to kill him. David knows the law of God. He knows that you can defend yourself. And there's an interesting um, ambivalence in this passage that uh, I don't want to make too much of, except to point out that it's, it's clearly intentional. These men say this to David, and what's the next thing David does? He sneaks up right next to Saul. He doesn't strike Saul, but he takes the corner of Saul's uh, robe, which we'll see is significant in a moment, and then his heart is cut to the quick. So was David, was David at first going to strike him down? Or, or did David go always just to send a signal to him? Well, the, the prophet doesn't really want us to know. My guess is that David didn't know, and it's just a guess, what he was going to do when he got there. But, but think about what is on the rising king's mind. He's got a group full of men who are separated from their families in a cave, whose lives have been put in duress on hold, whose livelihoods are in jeopardy, who are on the right side of history, who he knows will ultimately one day, maybe this day right here, maybe this moment right here, be in the open and established and ruling kingdom of the true king. And David's probably tired of living in caves himself. He sees the same opportunity. But he sees something else. And this is the very first thing you should do. The very first thing for you to see in the dark by listening to God's word is yourself. David is cut to the heart. He sees more than his men's need. He sees more than his enemy. He sees more than his opportunity. In a moment when no one would blame him for striking out, he sees his own heart, as it were. He sees his own why and what it's about to do. And he's He's randomly, it would appear, broken-hearted by it. This is one of the ways we know we've seen ourselves. When the whole world around us says it would be okay to do X or not do Y, our desire to perhaps not do X or do Y breaks our own heart. He was struck in the heart. Search me, O God, he says and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You will never see clearly in the darkness of the world if you don't see yourself first for all the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful that's in there. Sin and I, uh, well, certainly I don't like things to ever change. I like sameness. I want everything to be the same all the time. I want the same pattern for every day. And we just got crazy in the middle of COVID because we didn't have anything to do. So we took our bed and we had it this way. I know, I know you're not going to believe this. 
We turned it this way. It was nuts. It was nuts. And I was like, whoa. And so we went to bed that night, and it was hard to go to sleep because it was so different. And, um, and I'll just say I had to get a drink of water. I'll just leave it at that. So I, I, I woke up to get a drink of water, and, it, and um, I walked around the bed, and I walked around the bed again, and I walked around the third side of the bed, and I walked straight into a wall. Because the day before, when I did that exact same three moves, I walked into the place where I could get a drink of water. And so it's about 2.30 in the morning, and I just walk into the wall in a pitch dark room, and I just start laughing at what a doofus I am. If you don't know your own heart and where you are in the dark, you'll never see anything or anyone else. The light is a lamp unto your feet, or the Word of God is. Not unto your neighbor's feet, or your governor's feet, or your enemy's feet, but to your feet. And then David, once he sees himself, he sees his true calling. And this is one of the, um, you know, so much we learn about being a, a godly and then later on an ungodly leader from David. But, but what he sees, after he sees himself, he sees his calling and he goes back. The language is, is stronger um, than it appears in our English. He persuades, he slices and dices, he makes his argument to his men that no, it's not time to take this into our own hands. It's not time to do that, No. This is time to trust God. This is time to hold back. Now think about these people. What, what are they thinking of their, of their leader at this moment? So, so we're going to stay in the cave? We're, we're going to stay in the desert? We're going to stay in danger? You, this is what we're going to do now, even though all the stuff we've been hoping for is right here. But he persuades them. He moves them. He, what he does, and this is what I... I want us to see is um, he unsolves his kingdom. He tells his men that neither he nor they nor his dominion will be like their enemy. He says, we're not doing that. And of course, that's what, what our Lord Jesus has um, has done for us. So there's David and there's Saul in the dark. Let's take a look at, at uh, when the light shines and how to respond to it or not, more specifically. Um, how do we know the light change? You can see the, the images of daytime into the cave and then Saul leaves and then David leaves. So let that happen. David's back out in the light. Saul is back with his troops and the Saul sees him finally. So Saul finally sees David. Uh, Saul's been trying to see David for a, a little while. This is the first time since the 19th chapter, verse 8, that he's, that he's seen him. And, and he sees him again, the first sight of David. 
And you get the whole gospel in in this scene right here. You, You get the humility of Christ and the grace of God. The humility of David, the the grace of God and the declaration of ultimate judgment. Afterward, David arose and went out to the cave and called Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, what does David do? Well, David does what I would not do. David bows down. And when Jesus, if, if as you know, My interpretive uh, paradigm for this is to take it in the context of its covenantal history, but also pointing towards Christ. Remember when Jesus knew that the Father loved him and he was returning to the Father? Do you remember that story when we're told that? And what did Jesus do? He rose up from the table and took off his garment, his robe, and he wrapped a towel around himself. And then he came down to his knees and wash their feet. And then he announced, David did, the grace of God. Why do you listen? Why do you listen to the lies of the world, of the man about me? This day your eyes have seen how I could have taken you. I could have ended you. I could have established myself, but I withheld my hand. I will not put my hand out against the Lord's anointed, he said, completely um, suspending the truth that he himself is the Lord's true anointed. And so has Jesus done with every one of us. He's not struck down for our rebellion. As he said on the faithful night of his trial, If I called for legions of angels, my Father would send them. So in humility he comes. In mercy he shows us grace. But then David here tells Saul that judgment is coming. There will be judgment May the Lord, verse 12, judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. My hand shall not be against you, after whom has the king of Israel come out. If you're exploring Christianity, if you're here, this is the whole gospel. The king comes and could have struck us down. He pleads with us to understand that he's extended his mercy. And he comes to serve us. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to forgive, to convince us of God's benevolence and kindness. And then finally, the Son of Man said, there will be a day when you will be judged. Our plea with you, my plea with you, if you're exploring the faith, is that that you would do a fuller job of repenting than Saul does. Or if you're in the church because you have repented as well as Saul, but not well enough. Saul does everything but the one thing that would make him see. 
you know, David has seen. David has seen the promise. I said he saw in the dark because of the word of God he listened to. He listened to God's promise, and that was enough for him. And he trusted God's providence to fulfill his word, and he didn't take it into his own hands. And Saul, in one of the most Saulish moments of the whole story, gets ever so close. He confesses his faith. You're more righteous than I am. He confesses his sin. I was your enemy. I was going to defeat you. He gives his benediction. The Lord reward you. He actually calls him king. He pleads for mercy on his descendants. He does everything but what? The one thing that he doesn't do. He doesn't give over his kingdom. It's, he is this close and this far away from the salvation of his soul. And there's likely not just those who are here exploring Christianity, but those who have found it. I imagine there's among us, I know, um, God have mercy on me now, but surely early in my, in my life of following him, I gave him everything but the things that counted the most. I gave him everything but my dominion, everything but my kingdom. And some of you have as well. So, how do you see in the dark? Well, the one thing Saul didn't see is deeply into himself. What I, what I want to tell us is that um, the light has given, and we're very good at shining the light on the foolishness, the perversity, the violence, and the greed of the world. Who's good at that? Raise your hand if you're good at that. The rest of you are also good at that, but she just didn't raise your hand. Um, but he just couldn't see. He just couldn't see what was in his heart. The first thing to see in the dark is yourself. David saw himself in the dark. But then remember that you're supposed to see in the dark God's promise. Now, let me unpack this for you. God's promise, not God's providence. The, the men in the cave saw God's providence and applied his promise to it. Said, oh, Saul's here, that must mean. That's what we do. We interpret God's promises and his word by his providence. Has he given us permission? Has he given us opportunity? Is this our moment? Should we take this into our own hands right now? Should we have our way? Should we fulfill our dreams? Well, of course we should, because look how everything has come together. Maybe it's just me that does that. 
But, but what David does is, is David doesn't pers- uh, interpret God's promise by his providence. David interprets God's providence by his promise. David sees in the dark by seeing that God's anointed is set apart for God himself to judge in his time. And as you can see from what he said, he was confident that he would do that. The Lord would judge Saul. So seeing in the dark by listening to God is first about seeing ourselves and then it's about interpreting God's promises, not interpreting his providence. You are not smart enough to interpret God's providence. But don't be discouraged. No one is. You surely can have wisdom about what to do, but you always follow the, the word of God. I was in, uh, we used to have dinner every second Sunday of the month at our house for anybody who wanted to come on, on Sunday afternoons. Uh, they actually broke our house once, but that's a different illustration. They literally broke our house. But, but I was standing there with a guy named, um, I think his name was Huntington. I haven't seen him in years. He was a physicist at UW, and we were sitting out on, on the deck that overlooks our backyard. The, we have two levels. We were up in the upper deck. And, and I don't remember what we were talking about, but Symington was his name. And he said, well, yes, well, of course we do know that uh, sound can become light. And then he just kept talking, and I was like, what? What, what, like, back up, back up. And so he, I didn't really understand what he said because he was a Ph.D. in physics. And um, I was a pastor on, on, my, on, my, on my deck trying to figure out what he said. So. And it was actually before Wikipedia, which I looked at today to make sure I got this right. So, so what can happen, um, and, you know, there's probably a physicist out here who's just going to laugh at me afterwards. But, but what happens is sound, when it passes at, at certain frequencies, ultrasonic beyond our capacity to hear, can hit uh, gases or, or plasma maybe at, at a certain way where, where it deconstructs the gas and a faint light breaks out of it. It's called sono, sound, luminescence, light. And now you know what to look up on Google after the, ma- after the service. Not after the message, wait till the service is over. Well, that's perfect. Because the way to see in the dark is to listen to the Word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies and I ask you please to help us see by hearing. You'll make us safe if we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.